You know, you might be aware right now that there are numerous wildfires raging in the western parts of, of the country. Colorado and California, particularly other places. Uh, I have some of my own family members who are being affected by these fires in Colorado. They're surrounded, basically, and uh, can't leave their home. They can't open the windows because the air is so smoky. Uh, they can't go outside. And uh, the whole highway is shut down near their house. Writer Ed Roll grew up in the mountains of New Mexico, and he said uh, this. He said, I witnessed firsthand the hard work of containing forest fires. An early lesson that hotshot crews and smoke jumpers learn is that fire creates its own wind. And that wind can cause the fire to jump ahead much more quickly than anyone can anticipate. In the same way, change creates its own force. Change creates its own force. We're in the midst of tremendous change right now, aren't we? I mean, who could have guessed at the start of the year that we'd face a deadly virus, be out of this building for worship for five months, then slowly regather with just a handful of our community present? Who could have guessed all the other changes that uh, have happened? Uh, people have lost lives, people have lost livelihoods, and really, who knows when it will be over? We have no idea. And this change that we're in right now is creating its own force. It's telling its own story. It's carving new tributaries. And we're trying to flow with it the best way we can, carefully, but also with hope. With hope. Between the end of the book of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus, there's tremendous change that takes place. Uh, we end Genesis, if you uh, heard the sermon last week, with Jacob and his family settling in Egypt. And Pharaoh blessed that. Pharaoh welcomed them. And uh, they offered them protection. And they were able to get food to keep them alive during this terrible time of famine that was going on in the world. And you know what? They did really well there. Jacob's family, they grew, they flourished. They were fruitful. And over time, they became kind of a pretty mighty nation there. In fact, verse 7 at the beginning of Exodus says, they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Then the big change came. A big change came. There arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. I mean, have you been in a situation like that where things changed so dramatically and you thought, everything's going fine, I've worked out this system, I've got a good thing, and then maybe you get a new boss at work. <laughs> or you get a new teacher in school, you're doing really well, and then you go into a new class and all of a sudden... That teacher doesn't like me very much, or I, I can't connect with her or with him. This happens, right? We understand that. Well, this king over Egypt was very insecure. It made him a tyrant. He wasn't a good guy. As one of the commentators said, he had no memory. And you know, memory is required for us to have relationships. It's required for, to honor the promises that we've made. Memory is necessary to wisdom. And this particular Pharaoh, this king, did not have wisdom. So the opening of Exodus, what, we, what I read to you, that long story, that's a story about a people. A people who were saved from starvation, a people that grew in number and strength, but also a people who were threatened. Life was not easy for them, because no matter how great they would become, how many of them there would be, they remained people at the margins. They weren't in charge. They were people from someplace else. They were outsiders. 
And they were people that a tyrant king could easily oppress and crush. And that's exactly what he was trying to do. He increased the oppressive nature of their work under him. And when that failed to break their spirit, then he went after the children. Which is the future of those people. Future of our people. You know, ironically, it would also uh, decimate his future workforce. He obviously wasn't thinking that through that very carefully, but then tyrants often make no sense. Like King Herod in the centuries to come, the Pharaoh took aim at the most vulnerable, and he did so out of fear. He was afraid. If he'd only understood, like the earlier Pharaoh, that the presence of Israel in Egypt was a blessing, it wasn't a threat to him. Jacob had blessed that Pharaoh, but this king had forgotten that if he ever knew it. In God's promise to Abraham, he declared that he would make a people for himself, a great nation numbered like the stars. And now as we turn from Genesis to Exodus, we know that they will be set free from oppression. They will make their way back home to the place God had promised to them. This is not a story, a hero story about Moses, even though he plays a big part. It's a family history. And I want us to keep that in mind as as we think about that today and also in the weeks to come as we look at Moses and the deliverance of the people that it's about a community. It's about the people of God, the people of promise. And this is true for us, too, at Redeemer. We're part of the same story, just different chapters. And we are a people. We are a community of God's making. We're a people for His own possession. So as we hear that today, whether we're seated here in this beautiful sanctuary or we're joining online as we've been doing, we're one community together in the Lord, along with all those in heaven and on earth who are being redeemed by His mercy. Paul talks about that too, doesn't he, in Romans 12. He says we're one body, even though we're different. You know, We have different gifts, we look different, we bring different things to our community, but we belong to one another. We're one people. Israel was led into Egypt as a family, and they were delivered as a mighty people. And they made mistakes, didn't they? Their story is full of failure and frustration, but also faith and triumph. Many different ones will take up their role and their part in the story, but it's really about all of them together. God is preserving His people. Exodus is a people's story. But you know, the beginning of the book, the beginning of Exodus, is also a women's story for women and girls. And we see what they do to honor God. Moses doesn't have much of a role yet. He's a baby, right? What do babies do? They lay there and they cry. That's exactly what he does here. And he only survives because of the care and the courage and the compassion of women. Two of the women are midwives. Midwives bring life into the world. And we're actually given their names. Very unusual. Names we'll never hear again except they played a vital part in this narrative of rescue. Pharaoh told Shifra and Pua to kill the boy children. Terrible thing. But they feared God and they disobeyed Pharaoh. They risked their own lives to serve a, a higher purpose. And then when he asked them about it, they came up with a really clever answer. They said, well, you know, these Hebrew women are... They're really vital. They're a life force. They're strong. By the time we get to them, they've already had the baby. And God smiled on them, and he blessed them for their courage. Then Pharaoh, he got more serious. He upped his game, and he told all the Egyptians that if they found a Hebrew boy child, 
that child was to be thrown into the Nile. That's the big river there. It flows all the way through Africa. For Egyptians, the Nile River was a source of life. It was a sacred place. So for this king to to twist it into a place of death was a terrible thing. Moses was born, he lived for three months, and his mother was able to hide him. And when she couldn't hide him anymore, she placed him into a waterproof basket and placed him into the river among the reeds at the edge of the water. Maybe she hoped to keep him hidden there for as long as possible. She committed her child to that river of life, but also to God. I mean, can you imagine that? What that must have been like to have to do that. All that she was laying down in trust. We know from the story, too, that Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, comes down to the Nile to bathe, and she finds the basket. She heard the child crying, and she felt sorry for him. She cared, right? And in opening the basket, she knew that this was a Hebrew child. Now, she had a decision to make. Will the child live, or will the child die? Just then, a little girl spoke up, probably the age of many of you who are here today. And she said, shall I get a Hebrew woman to nurse the baby for you? Now that little girl was actually Moses' sister. And she'd been watching. And maybe she saw the princess hesitate of what to do. And she steps in and she says, let me help you. Let me find someone to care for this child for you. And so the princess says, okay. And the woman that was brought to nurse the baby was his own mother. And she raised him until he was old enough to go into the royal household and live in the palace. That's amazing, isn't it? Isn't that truly amazing? Each woman here, with her own gifts of courage, different ages, one very young, defied the evil of a tyrant. They stood up to evil. The plans of the king were thwarted. They were undone because the women were willing to enter into this story and do what was right, even though they faced great risk. When Moses' mother sees him for the first time, the passage says she saw that he was fine. A fine child. You know, it's the same word that is used when God looks at creation and says it's good. This was like creation. Again, this was a creative act. One that would set the stage for the whole nation to be delivered. Did the women know they were doing some great thing? I don't think so. They just followed their good character. They followed their insight. They followed their wisdom. They wanted to do what was right. They served a higher purpose of which they were unaware. But that's often the way with acts of kindness and courage. Simple things. And they can start when we're very young. So this is a people's story. It's a women's story today. But it's also God's story. Now, we don't see God mentioned directly here, do we? But God is present. And throughout the book of Genesis, God was seen, but not named. We saw in Joseph's story that God doesn't make a specific appearance, yet he governs the outcome. He's controlling the situations. Well, in Exodus, God will make his appearance in dramatic ways. He will tell his name, and he will make a covenant, an agreement, a promise with his people. His activity will be front and center, but it isn't always. We want to be careful not to doubt God's part when we can't see His presence clearly. God is here, behind the action in Exodus, working to save and preserve. 
The psalmist, the psalm that we read today, anticipates the deliverance of Israel in declaring, if the Lord had not been on our side. I think we, we can learn over a lifetime to say things like that too, right? In all the situations that we face, even thinking about the last five months, if the Lord had not been with us, if the Lord had not provided, if the Lord had not been preserving us, where would we be? We have our part to play. We have acts of mercy and care, courage and risk-taking. And we can all do that no matter what our age. But in the end, our help is in the name of the Lord, the psalm says, the maker of heaven and earth. So God was present in and through these actions that we've been reading about this morning. And God is also present in the prayers and actions that we undertake in this difficult time. I want to encourage us to have confidence and assurance that God is working out His divine purposes. In many ways, God longs to do that through us, through His people. Maybe God's presence isn't obvious. Maybe it feels sometimes like we're having to make decisions and do the work in the dark. But like the women in Exodus, we can trust that God is present when we do those things that please Him. We do those things that reflect His nature. Like caring for our neighbors. When we speak up for those who are uh, treated in, uh, in unjust ways. When we risk our reputation in standing to do what's right. And even in the simple things, maybe especially the simple things. We're in a new world today. Things have changed more than we could have imagined. But like Israel, who faces this tyrannical enemy, God is present, working out His purposes. God is with us. Amen. Amen.